Thank you to each and every one of you who are joining me today. We are looking at the theology of C.S. Lewis, part three. So we've done part one and part two. Those have been posted. Those are available now. They've been posted and are available. So we did C.S. Lewis, part one, C.S. Lewis, part two. And today we are doing C.S. the theology of C.S. Lewis, part three. Uh, before we get into that, though, I've been asked if I could kind of go over one of the things that we talked about in C.S. Lewis Part 2, which is divine omnipotence, and just kind of explain that a little bit more. So let's just revisit what we said about divine omnipotence. So when we say divine omnipotence, we are talking about the power that God has to do everything, the power that God has to do all. And so we believe with God, all things are possible. But that can be a problem for somebody. That can be a problem for somebody who doesn't believe because they might say something like, if God has the power to do all things, why didn't God stop Adolf Hitler? Now, remember, C.S. Lewis is writing most of this stuff during World War II. And so that's something that comes up a lot. Why didn't God stop Adolf Hitler? So for C.S. Lewis, there are two kinds of impossibilities. There's a conditional impossibility, which means... Basically, it's impossible for me to do something right now. For instance, it's impossible for me to see the sky right now because I'm sitting inside. It's impossible for me to see the sky unless I walk outside. If I walk outside, then I can see the sky. Right now, I can't see it through the ceiling and the roof. So it's impossible for me to see it, right? It's a conditional impossibility. I can change the condition and then it becomes possible. Then there are other things that are simply impossible under all conditions. Nobody can do something that is impossible under all conditions. There's no unless attached to it. There's no condition attached to it. It's just basically impossible. Nobody, nothing, even God can't do it because it is impossible for all agents in all places at all times. Okay, so what C.S. Lewis is talking about is those impossibilities are things called things that are mutually exclusive, right? Okay, so for him, he was talking about free will. So God cannot give someone free will and then at, at the same time take it away. God cannot give Adolf Hitler free will and then at the same time take it away. So God cannot say to Adolf Hitler, you can do whatever you want, you have free will, but you can't do these things. And if you do, I'm gonna stop you. Okay, so God cannot carry out two mutually exclusive alternatives at the same time, because as C.S. Lewis said, nonsense remains nonsense even when we talk about God. What is he talking about with mutual, things that are mutually exclusive? So, for instance, something that is mutually exclusive. You cannot turn left and right at the same time. You are either turning left or right, but you can't do both at the same time. You cannot flip a coin and have it come up both heads and tails. It's only going to come up one or the other. So what we're saying is it's impossible for God to flip a, an American penny and have it come up heads and tails at the same time. It's just not possible. And so uh, God has the power to do all things, but uh, as we, and we're talking about omnipotence, we are saying that God has the power to do all things that are conditional. If there is something, if we say, well, that's impossible unless God has, God has the power to do the unless, Right. But God cannot do two things that are mutually exclusive at the same time. God cannot turn left and right at the same time, at least not in this universe and not, not in this creation. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. I hope that makes more sense. God cannot flip a coin 
and have it come up heads and tails at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. God cannot turn right and left at the same time. God cannot give us free will and take it back at the same time. So why didn't God do something about Adolf Hitler? Well, God gave Adolf Hitler free will. God gave murderers free will. God gave terrorists free will, and they used their free will to do what they did. God then cannot stop them uh, and, and then uh, take away that free will. So that is what, um, what C.S. Lewis would say about divine omnipotence. I hope that helps. I hope that makes more sense. If not, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's the best I can do. Okay, so, so then C.S. Lewis goes on what, to talk about miracles. What does C.S. Lewis say about miracles? Why don't we see more miracles? Why don't we see miracles? So C.S. Lewis takes a look at the parts in Scripture and the parts in history where we did see miracles. For instance, uh, we saw miracles with the martyrs. Uh, you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and he was supposed to be eaten by the lion. They came, and he wasn't eaten. There was a miracle, right? Uh, or if you, we were doing a Bible study, a Tuesday night Bible study on the book of Acts. If you read through the book of Acts, you see that the apostles, those who were the disciples and now earlier leaders of the early church, all the miracles they're doing of healing people and casting out demons, why were they able to do them and we're not able to do them now? Well, I have an opinion, and I'll get to mine in a minute, but C.S. Lewis's opinion is this. All of these people were risking their life for the faith. We have no desire to be in these moments. We have no desire to be put in that position. Therefore, we don't see miracles. I would say that not only that, they were risking their life for the faith. They were There was a special purpose behind what they were doing. Daniel played a very important part uh, in, in getting Israel back out of exile. Uh, and so Daniel played a very important part in the, uh, the government of a, of a superpower who had come and taken control. Daniel played a very important part in the history of the Israelite people. And so God used that moment to do something important. The apostles played a very important part in getting the church up and off the ground, getting the Christian church. They had the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were doing incredible work, and the Lord was adding to their number daily. Uh, they were doing important work in the history of the church, and so God used them and, and used miracles through them for the purpose of growing the church and getting the church going. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, if we demand a miracle, it is certain that it will not happen. But I say this, miracles still happen. Miracles happen today. They happen every day. They're just not on the news. Uh, they happen every day. And then lots of times, most of the times, they don't happen inside of a church building, but they do happen. I have a friend. Her name is Joan Wilt. She's a member of Abiding Grace. In 2012, she was told she had 12 months to live. It is now 2020, and Joan is still alive. Joan, in 2012, said, I am not going to go through chemotherapy. I am just going to let whatever happened happens. And Joan is still alive today. She's in her 90s, and she lives in a nursing home, and she is cancer-free. So miracles do happen. They just don't make the news, right? Uh, and so miracles happen. They just they happen in small, uh, small ways for people who aren't on the news, people who aren't celebrities, uh, but they happen. Uh, God is at work among us, and so um, I, I would say we still do see miracles. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, sometimes it's, well, what is it? Is that a miracle? It's, it's up to you. 
if it's a miracle or not, but I certainly believe that miracles uh, do, do still happen. C.S. Lewis wrote about the love of country. Uh, remember that he was in England during a time of war. Patriotism was high. And so C.S. Lewis wrote about the love of country. He said there are three ingredients in love of country. The first is love of home. Love of the place where we grew up, the familiar sights, our old acquaintances, maybe the places we went to school, the places where we had Little League games or soccer games or dance class. Uh, it, it's the American understanding of, you know, back in the day, right? Back in the day when everything was great, Chevrolet, everybody drove a Chevrolet and apple pie and all this stuff. And, you know, everybody watched baseball and it was the way the world used to be. Uh, there's nothing wrong with looking back at, at the way, at the, you know, when we grew up and looking back at our childhood and thinking, man, that was so great. That was so, I love that. I love being part of, you know, I love remembering uh, the people I grew up with and all that kind of stuff. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. The second part is love of our country's past, right? The great deeds of our ancestors that live in our popular imagination. We have these heroes, uh, these United States heroes. We think of like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and these people who were giants of the United States and who made our country what it is. And you can look back and, you know, some of the, some stuff may not necessarily be true about these people. Like Washington never told a lie or stuff like that, but, but that's okay. I mean, we can, we can romanticize the past. It's okay. It's okay to, to hold these people in high regard and say, you know, because of their courage and because of their vision we have, and we are what we are. That's okay. But the third part can be the problem and that's when we say we are better than everyone else, when we are better than everyone else. And, and in his book, C.S. Lewis talks about a conversation that he had with a pastor, and the pastor talked about how the people of England were better than everyone else, and the people in England, uh, the, the, the soldiers in England were braver than everyone else, and the men and women were smarter than everyone else. And, and C.S. Lewis said, yeah, but every country believes that. And the guy said, well, yeah, but here in England, it's true. And, you know, we believe that, right? I mean, that's... This part is dangerous. This part can be a sin when we say we are better than everyone else. This attitude is sinful and can lead to very dangerous things. Uh, it can lead to racism. It can lead to what Germany became in the 1930s and 40s, right? And so he's writing out against this type of love of country that just sees nothing but our country, you know, everything else is second, everything else is worse, everything else, you know, and so he says this, this causes problems. So with this attitude, we are better than everyone else can cause problems. And it's not just, it's not just national, you know, when you're looking at the love of country, it's the love of self, right? It's, you know, the, the, it's, it's pride, right? And Proverbs eleven two says, when pride comes, then, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. You know, when you think you're better than everyone else, when you think you're better than everyone else, you're going to be proven wrong. I mean, that when pride comes, then comes disgrace. And we all, we don't want that. So uh, C.S. Lewis said, it's okay to love our home. It's okay to love the place we grew up. It's okay to love the place that we live. It's okay to, to have a vision of what we think it is and, and to romanticize the past and to think about our childhood and say, I had a great childhood. It was so great. You know, I had, I had great friends and we played and it was all kinds of fun. And, you know, that's okay. A vision of what we believe the world was like. But when we start to think we're better than everyone else, that's when we get in trouble. And that's when uh, it turns into sin and can turn into something dangerous.
And then the final thing we'll talk about today is what C.S. Lewis had to say about prudence, about thinking things through, how, how important it is to think things through. It's obvious from his writings that C.S. Lewis would sit down and he would think about something. He would think about, he would think about you know, divine omnipotence. He would think about faith. And he would think it through to the very end in a systematic way so that he could come to a conclusion that made sense to him. Uh, and now it, he thinks that we are all challenged to do that, that we are all called to do that. So we should, uh, we should, when no matter what it is, whether it be biblical, whether it be theological, whether it be ac- economics, whether it be quarantine, whether it be whatever, that we, it is our obligation that we are challenged to sit down and to think about it and to spend time in reflection and to think things through think things through to the end so that we can come up with a belief. Well, this is what I believe is true about this. This is what we should do. Um, and so he says, yes, we are. The Bible says we are to be like children. Jesus says we are to be like children. But C.S. Lewis says we are to be children at heart with a grown-up's head. And he quotes Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents, think things through. Come to a conclusion that makes sense to you and then have that be the foundation for whatever it is we are going to do. He goes on to say that our understanding of God should grow as we do. Our understanding of God should grow as we grow. Our understanding of God should grow as our understanding of life grows. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We should grow in our faith, grow in our understanding of God, grow as disciples. And you know, we look back at our life and you know, I hope that you can look back 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago and say, wow, I have really grown spiritually. I may have gotten older. I may not be able to do things with my body that I used to do. I may not be able to run as far or as fast, all those things, but I have really grown spiritually. My faith is in a much different place than it was then. I have really come to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, now, C.S. Lewis says, God will not love you anymore because you have grown like this, but he would like to see you use the brain that God created and put in you. God created you with a brain and wants you to use it. And he finishes by saying that God is not fond of slackers. So don't be a slacker. Do the difficult work of sitting down and reflecting and thinking. And if you need to write things out and just kind of help yourself to make sense of things that is going on. I mean, there's some things you can't make sense of, right? We, we, we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen with this quarantine. We don't know all this stuff, right? But sit down and think about the things that we can figure out. The things that, you know, if I sit down and I put 15, 20, 30 minutes into thought about a couple different things, you know, where would I land? Where would I land? You know, we have a presidential election coming up. Sit down and think it through. Which, one, which candidate do you want to vote for? You know, I, I know right now you probably already know. I mean, it's pretty polarized. You're either going to vote for one or the other. But sit down and think things through. Look at the evidence and find the best answer for you. Find what is right for you. 
don't be a slacker. God is not fond of slackers, as C.S. Lewis says. So, okay, we will stop there for today. Have a wonderful day. Take good care of yourselves. You are in my prayers, and uh, I will see you soon.